Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining me for this week's edition of the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. It's Wednesday, March 8th, 2023, and today we're going to be answering three questions we've been hearing from international educators over the last few days. As we do each week, we take our stories from the mid, for the Midweek Roundup from our newsletter that comes out on Monday called All the SMIE News Fit to Share. And that newsletter is free of charge to any who wish to subscribe, either via email, dropping the link to the subscribe page from our website, smieconsulting.org slash subscribe. Also, the most recent edition of this week's uh, March 6th, all SMIE news fit to share. And also the LinkedIn version of our newsletter that you can also subscribe to. Between the two of those newsletters versions, uh, we have over 1,000 subscribers. So we really appreciate all of those of you who have made that newsletter part of your regular weekly international edification. So we take the themes from some of those news stories that we see develop each week, and we focus on three of those here on the Midweek Roundup and give a little bit more in-depth look into how those particular questions can frame how we approach international education in our jobs at U.S. institutions and around the world. So, as we do each week, we uh, appreciate those of you who watch live on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or Twitter, our social media feeds for SMIE Consulting, and also those of you who uh, listen to the audio-only podcast version of this roundup that you can get through any of your favorite podcast providers. So let's get right into our first question of the day, and this is a hot topic on many college campuses this last couple of weeks, and that is, what was the Department of Education thinking with its recent guidance on TPS, third-party third servicers, they call them, based overseas or with foreign ownership? Uh, so we'll get to the gist of that question in just a minute, but uh, we'll share the first uh, the our good summary article of uh, what's happened in this with regard to this, and that's related to uh, it's an ISF Monitor article from March 1st that shares uh, the title "New U.S. Department of Education Guidance Alarming for EdTech and Recruitment Providers." Now, uh, many of us on college campuses, if we have the ears of our senior leadership, uh, this is something that you certainly want to elevate up to the chain uh, to government relations folks on your college campuses to, so that they're aware of the potential implications if this guidance is let to stand and what that might mean, not just for uh, for international education, but other parts of the university life that may be impacted by this ruling or this guidance. Now, here's what the gist of the guidance is. And um, I've just been putting a brief together for uh, senior leadership for our government relations folks on campus uh, that kind of summarizes this. But uh, the, the gist of the letter of the guidance uh, that most most uh, commentators have suggested that this is a quick fix. It's just poorly worded uh, and not unlike what happened in the um, in the summer of 2021 when uh, Department of Defense bill was passed that had uh, wording that was overly generic uh, related to uh, commission-based payments uh, that impacted uh, recruitment agents, educational recruitment agents potentially, uh, not being uh, that institutions who received Department of Defense funds could not also be using commission-based agents. And that had language that was particularly poorly written that did not ex exclude international-based educational agents recruiting students for uh, U.S. institutions. So uh, this is similar to that, but what we're talking about here uh, with regard 
regard to the language uh, in the Department of uh, Education guidance. Uh, it says specifically uh, referring to Title IV programs. So uh, that um, the department has reviewed numerous contractual agreements. Here's the actual wording of the letter. Uh, department has reviewed numerous contractual agreements, arrangements between institutions and outside entities. These reviews have confirmed that most activities and functions performed by outside entities on behalf of an institution are intrinsically intertwined with the institution's administration of the Title IV programs, and thus the entities performing such activities are appropriate subjects to TPS requirements. Now, these are not TPS reports from the, from the movie Office Space. Uh, these are third-party servicers. That's what the Department of Education calls TPS. In particular, the department is revising its guidance concerning the functionings, functions of student recruiting and retention, the provisions of software products and services involved in Title IV administration activities, and the provision of educational content and instruction. The department is aware that a large and growing industry has developed to provide one or more of these services as a means of transitioning academic programs into a distance education format and expanding enrollment. Companies providing such services are sometimes referred to as online program managers, OPMs. So the Title IV programs is, is for those who aren't aware, is specifically referring to federal financial aid for post-secondary students. That's government money coming to institutions for uh, federal financial aid. So that's almost exclusively for U.S. citizens, permanent residents, asylees, and um, residents of the Marshall Islands, I think, and, and American Samoan perhaps as well. But anyway, uh, these uh, classifications are Specifically, Title IV specifically refers to financial aid, federal financial aid, which international students are not eligible for. So from an international education perspective, it seems to fall outside of what the Department of Education is really intending with this, that they're really concerned about these OPMs that are offering uh, distance education formats, expanding enrollments, if these programs are owned by non-U.S. citizens or based overseas. So that's really the, the, the requirements or the particular concern of the Department of Education in trying to regulate this. So, and where those funds go for Title, from, for Title IV, uh, it, it's, if any of that money goes to, uh, that is, should be, Uh, if any of that money goes to uh, overseas TPS people, then that uh, uh, would fall afoul of this regulation. So the, the challenge is, from an international admissions, international education perspective, is that the letter does specifically indicate that recruitment and application-related activities are within its oversight, its inner oversight scope, including quote-unquote, uh, in the letter, interacting with prospective students for the purpose of recruiting or securing enrollment, basically performing what the function that agents perform. This includes, but is not limited to, providing prospective students with information on educational programs, application document requirements, deadlines, and the enrollment process. Assisting students with the completion of application enrollment processes. This includes offering admissions and enrollment counseling. So uh, this obviously concerns uh, international admissions folks who uh, rely on uh, 
agents to uh, do the provide many of these services to prospective students overseas. Uh, educational agents are almost exclusively overseas based. Uh, some do operate in the United States but have offices overseas. Uh, so that is particularly of concern for international education. There are also potential implications for partnerships for with universities uh, that partner universities overseas that would have uh, potentially be receiving U.S. students who have federal financial aid to attend the study abroad program overseas. So there's, again, many potential areas of concern for international educators beyond just uh, the, the diagnosis from uh, from that specific to international education, there may, uh, and I think the main target of these are OPMs related to uh, that would be connected to a Title IV funding in any way, which most international education programs are not. Again, unless it's going to be that study abroad piece. So this this is particularly concerning. Uh, it's hopefully going to be corrected. The the fallout from this is that Department of Education, after a series of uh, associations, educational associations led by ACE, uh, penned a letter that, as they usually do, they sort of serve as the umbrella whenever the, some of this new federal guidance or legislation comes out that is particularly opposed to parts of that education, higher education process. Uh, or industry. So uh, ACE uh, sent a, a letter to Department of Ed uh, outlining the areas of concern that this um, uh, Department of Ed has come back and said, okay, we're, we're going to extend the comment period through the end of March and then uh, push back the guidance implementation until September. So uh, that's had a, at least a positive immediate impact that there's no, not rushing in with this guidance, which originally was gonna go in, in place uh, in the next month or so. That now will be pushed back to at the minimum to September, uh, but uh, hopefully will be made uh, clearer. And that's basically what all the international ed associations, including NAFSA, ARC, along with ACE have, uh, have asked Department of Ed for further clarification and guidance on what, the, where the boundaries are of this uh, prohibition on funding connected to Title IV and OPMs or TPSs uh, overseas. So that's a, a pretty big chunk and a particularly uh, alarming piece of news for uh, international educators who are, 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 are looking at these potential government uh, regulations or guidance changes. So um, if you haven't already, uh, this certainly would be something worthwhile considering on your own campuses to at least alert government relation officials on campus to what the challenges of this new guidance would be for what you do in international education. Again, this could be for uh, your use of uh, educational agents. It could be impacting uh, your ability to partner with universities overseas that might be receiving students who come on federal funded federal financial aid that allows them to attend those programs. It also impacts a wide range of what you can and can't do domestically too, but that's a whole other uh, argument that uh, our domestic colleagues or those that do online education uh, at your institutions may be uh, asking uh, or looking to, looking to get clarification on as well. So we'll see what happens with this, but certainly it could be, um, if it turns out to be actually what they say it is supposed to be and not as broad, uh, not as uh, perhaps an oversight or miscommunication or a, a poorly written uh, uh, guidance that doesn't include, that shouldn't include international uh, recruitment agents and such and partnership, university partnerships. If it is actually 
meant to be broad and wide scope, uh, then uh, much of international education could be turned on its head by September. So we'll see what happens, but hopefully it's it's going to be quickly resolved after the March 30th deadline, maybe before, but certainly uh, we'll keep you posted here on the roundup as to what this might mean. Uh, I know uh, putting together briefs for, for um, government relations officials at your institution is never a highlight of your day, but certainly something that you need to be prepared to do, and this might be one of those times uh, when action is required sooner rather than later, just to make sure that your institution is aware of the potential implications of this guidance should it go through as is. So that's the first topic of the day. Uh, the next one is uh, this time of year as uh, we get towards uh, most of our institutions that are on July 1 fiscal years. Uh, we're getting towards the end of the uh, moving into quarter four here in a few few weeks uh, for April, May, and June, and we are looking at how we're going to use the rest of our budgets um, and thinking about starting to prioritize uh, what we were planning to do for the next fiscal year. I know I've gone through a similar exercise at UNLV recently, pr proposing my budget for the next uh, year, what that would include in terms of recruitment areas, in terms of staffing, in terms of fairs and other things that we want to do, travel, conferences, memberships, all of that. So the question is around budget, uh, is what drives your international education budget decisions on campus? Now, this is a, a complex question, obviously, uh, it, depending on where your office is housed, if it's within an admissions office, if we're talking about student recruitment budget and enrollment budget, or if we're a standalone unit, you might have your own funding um, mechanisms uh, that are independent of an admissions office. If it's uh, you got some in graduate school, some in uh, undergraduate admissions in terms of recruitment, and there's no one home for that. You might be in a standalone International Student Scholar Services office that might have some minor recruitment related things. But the question is, what drives your international budget decisions on campus? So uh, turning here to uh, an article from our colleagues at uh, INTED, where they say uh, budgeting should be an expression of your values as a campus. And they, they pose three essential questions that uh, all campuses or all international ed, uh, folks should be saying uh, what we need, what, how, what should drive our, our, where we spend our money. And this is, this is an important piece of the puzzle. So uh, I really think that, uh, the, as, as the Inted article points out, uh, is that what are these three essential budget questions, a framework for planning? Uh, that's a, a download that they have. Inted has available as well, and if you, what they what they boil it down to are three questions that you should be asking when you're making budget decisions. First up, where are the strongest opportunities for growth? What do you truly value, and are you performing at the level that produces desired results? So by answering those three questions for your institution, you may have, uh, and the strongest opportunities for growth is on the recruitment side. What are the markets that you uh, should be are should 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 are the most likely to produce growth for your institution, and college market or country markets, program markets, combination of those two, level of mar level of study, that type of thing. Answering those, having answers to those three questions, those those that question there, then what do you truly value? 
and the value here is 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 really where the rubber hits the road. What as an institution, and let's just break it down to internationally, uh, in international education at your institution, what do you truly value? Now, many of our campuses may have uh, a more uh, altruistic vision and be driven by this in, in an ideal world that we bring international students in to enhance uh, the experience for our domestic students, to share the, uh, the, the greatness of our programs and experiences that students can have from other countries on our campus and then take that home to their, their countries, uh, to prepare students uh, for global, a globally interconnected world by knowing people from different culture, cultures and countries and languages and religions from all over the world on our campus and through study abroad and whatever else, uh, whatever other means you're using. So if that's what you truly value, then your uh, priorities and where you spend your money should align with that in terms of you want students to come here, have positive experiences, interact with domestic students, uh, be prepared for the career of their choice once they leave our campus and return home and become successful alumni for your institution and hopefully ambassadors for your institution. So uh, if that's what you truly value, your money should support those objectives, right? So that makes sense, clear enough. Uh, what happens if you're, um, you're, you truly value just numbers? then uh, where you spend your recruitment dollars is where you expect the most return on your investment uh, in terms of uh, who's, what's going to bring the most revenue into my institution, uh, which market um, should I go into or market should I go into to bring the most growth. And if that's what you're looking for, then that's a, a different, there are different methodologies for going about achieving that. Uh, because the first one, uh, I'm giving the two extremes here. The first one I mentioned, if you're looking at this from a, um, the ideal uh, vision of international education, it should be driven by the end product of what you're trying to, to get out. And most for most of our campuses, we're not maybe all the way there. Uh, we're on a journey towards being that, that as an ideal way to recruit, to conduct international education efforts on our campuses. We focus on those outcomes and we realize those outcomes require us to provide services, not just promotional materials on the front end to bring students in, but the services to take care of the students while they're on campus. And those services at the, in the last year of studies or uh, last period of, of time on our campus before they return home or go into the job market, that we're preparing them for that next step. That the, we're, we're equipping them not only with the skills to be good in their career, but the skills that they need for life for the research, the communication skills, the interview skills, the writing skills, all of those things that they will need to have to be successful in their chosen profession. But also, how to get to that chosen profession, how to identify the right opportunities and companies that they can work for to get them where they need to be. So that we're on a journey towards that because most of our campuses are not going to be a full, full service prospect to successful alumni system where every dot is connected throughout that journey so that through the enrollment and an orientation and advising and uh, programming and services and housing and all of those things that lead to students becoming successful graduates, graduates, um, we're not all there yet, are we? Uh, so we're on a path to that, to that goal. But when, you, when you're showing what you truly value, if that's what's guiding your search as opposed to or your, where you spend your money, 
then the value piece will come in. Well, you value if you value that full-term experience, and that's where we want to be. We want to get to that point where we spend our money is going to reflect the services we need to have to achieve us, allow us to get to that point, not only in the front end of the process while they're students and at the end of their, their journey as a student. So that's, that's the ideal. Uh, those that are driven valued by revenue for the institution, bottom line, that's all we care about. We don't care where they come from. Then your motivations are all in on China or in the past all in in China or all in on India, all in on Saudi Arabia if you have the right programs, all in on Brazil or whatever your best market would be. And then the rest can that happen, they happen. But um, that's, that's what really will trigger which path you go down or some combination of those two or variation on that theme, I should say. And the final question they ask is, and are you performing at the level that produces desired results? And part of the challenge here, again, is how are you measuring your success? And obviously, if you've been tracking your, uh, your, 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 where you spent your money this past year, what has that led to? Uh, for example, uh, at UNLV, um, my first year since May last year has been sent elevating UNLV's profile amongst influencers. Uh, influencers by influencers, I mean guidance counselors uh, through international ACAC, uh, through uh, presence at international education conferences like NAFSA, like uh, international ACAC, like uh, ARC, like uh, AIEA and NAFSA, of course, uh, all of these conferences are now going to IAPI next week, uh, meeting with the influencers that can help spread the word about who we are as an institution, let, that, let folks know that we're out there on the market ready to uh, work with them to bring students, qualified students into our programs. Uh, also, part of that influencer network are the agents and Education USA officers and uh, advisors around the world that... Um, on the agent side, we have a network now of 30-plus agents that we're working with to help drive student traffic to us. Uh, with Education USA, we're making them aware of our programs. We're doing outreach to them to, to uh, connect for webinars. Uh, we're potentially using Education USA to help us identify potential partner universities in their countries that would be good fits for our university as we look to grow our international footprint. So for us, um, my me tracking results for for what I do is I don't handle directly the admissions part. Uh, there's graduate and undergraduate admissions teams that have been combined into one unit that have staff that do the actual admissions processing. Uh, my word, my job is to get the word out, ha set up fairs that our folks can participate in, uh, to recruit students for, uh, to have them do virtual events, that type of thing that will help get us in front of as many students as we can. But my goal is setting the table so that the processes we set up and refine for specifically for international students, the communication flow messaging that we work on to help improve um, the yield of, uh, of students that we have coming into the application and inquiry process with us, uh, to the uh, enrollment services, the orientation, advising, pre-advising, uh, pre pre-arrival uh, pr uh, programming we do, working with our OISS office to help refine that and to, uh, to have basics in place that help take what we do on a service level to the next level for the students once they arrive, making that best first impression. So 
Uh, it's about numbers in the end, yes, but it's about the quality of the students that we're bringing, about the retention of those students once they're on campus, that they're getting the quality services we, we say we're promising, and that and by the end, in year three, four, five, once we have cohorts graduating, have data that can better reflect our success in where they're going, what kinds of jobs they're getting, all of these things that are so vital to uh, promoting where we are as uh, an institution and who we want to be. So that's, those are the three questions. Are you performing at the level? So make sure you're, you have your ROI, you make sure you're, uh, you've got your data that supports your, this, the, the projects that you've been working on to drive enrollment, to drive applicants, whatever it might be, having that data available to show your success year on year about how you're improving uh, uh, your, the numbers uh, in, if that's what the, the only goal is. So the question that they, they rightly ask here at the end uh, from the Inted folks, Here's the thing, quote unquote, if you are not willing to fund something to get the results you want, then you don't value those desired results as much as the thing you do decide to fund. What went into that decision? All too often, institutional politics carries more weight than an evaluation of values and growth opportunities. Ouch, quote unquote. So these are the things for um, for institutions to consider when they're making decisions. And if you have control over your own budget and um, budgeting requests, if you are um, if you are prioritizing your things, your, your decisions as to where you spend your money on those answers to those three questions, then you're probably going to be in good stead. And hopefully that's something you can share up the chain. Here's what our vision is. Here's why we're going the way we're going with this. Here's the data to back up why we're making the decisions we're, we're making. So if you can do that effectively, then you're probably on, on, a, on a good path towards achieving your institutional goals that way or your international education goals. So that's the second question of the day. For our final question, we'll take a, a quick fire look at some challenges that are, the UK is facing right now. Uh, what are the challenges facing UK international ed? Uh, for those that have been following the newsletter over the last uh, two, three months uh, since the Sunak government came into, into power, there's been a lot of um, Kind of confusion on the international ed side as to where this government is in terms of priorities for international education. Uh, it's just sort of coming at the, at the kind of the peak of what of the renaissance of UK higher ed uh, for international education. Uh, they've seen uh, huge record numbers uh, returning over 600,000 international students currently in the in the UK at British universities. Uh, that represents a, achieving a goal years ahead of schedule uh, to reach that 600,000 mark. They've seen huge growth from China, huge growth from India, Nigeria, uh, as they've seen uh, explosions in the number of postgraduate degree programs uh, that international students have been coming for, uh, which in the UK terms is, is are primarily a one-year master's programs. And we know UK undergrad degrees are three years, their master's degrees mostly are one, some are two years, and then doctoral programs are, are three to five years. So, but the master's programs are what has driven a lot of the recent growth in international education numbers, international student numbers in the UK. Uh, so they are at this, this all-time peak. Uh, the, but the challenges are uh, this peak is coming at a time where because the shift to online, to to postgraduate, master's level degrees primarily, it's creating a lot of churn. 
uh, because the recruitment cycle is these are students that are only going to be in the UK for one year for on their campuses. So it's a limited uh, year on year. You're turning over to those same students. So the only new ones you're getting in each year to these programs are going to be for year for one for one year primarily for these master's students. So there's limited impact that those students financially will have on your campuses, but they're going for numbers at many schools right now. There was a, a article last week we shared or about a webinar from the Pi about the University of Hull and how they've just blown up their numbers uh, more than doubled in the last last three years. So there's some real. Uh, Momentum that's been gathering over the last three years, even during the pandemic, you saw UK numbers uh, continue to go up uh, after initial, uh, everyone had a bounce down uh, in 2020, but UK numbers have shot up because of their smoother visa processing uh, piece, not requiring the interview, having third parties who kind of run the majority of the visa processing. Uh, so it's sped up that process uh, for and left countries that do require interviews like the UK or like the US uh, struggling to get students in uh, because consulates and embassies weren't open during the pandemic. Now that they're reopening, it's becoming less of an issue, but still there's a backlog and all of these wonderful things that we have to face in the US, UK didn't. So we're seeing what we're, what, what's happening here with, um, with the UK. That, so that's kind of painting the picture. What's happened when, with the Sunak government, their home secretary, Suella Braverman, came in and immediately said, we're going to be putting a cap on the number of students, uh, postgraduate students that come into us who bring dependents because there was apparently this huge spike in uh, international students that were bringing dependents with them uh, who were coming from master's or doctoral programs. A huge spike, 50, 30 to 60% spike, I think, of a uh, number of uh, new people coming in. And those people are were only allowed in because their post their students, the students were coming from postgraduate degrees. Uh, the talk was on capping the numbers. There's talk of reducing the numbers. There's talk of uh, allowing only high-value uh, degree holders to be, bring in dependents. There was originally talk of uh, only going to allowing students to go to particular universities and not low-value institutions. So there's been a lot of disquiet about that. Uh, we're also coming, one of the knock-on effects of the UK's success with their uh, recruitment is there's a huge housing shortages in the UK in many cities. Uh, some institutions, even in Scotland, said don't come unless you've already got housing lined up just because there's it's seriously that short on housing. And there was another article in our newsletter this week that cataloged the, the vacancy rates in in uh, most of Europe are less than 1% or 2% uh, available housing uh, for international students. So some serious challenges ahead uh, for UK, UK institutions that are looking to continue their strong uh, path uh, towards uh, world domination in international student recruitment. So uh, we'll keep our eyes on those challenges and how they... Uh, how they materialize in terms of government policy, but uh, be grateful we don't have that level of intervention yet uh, on the U.S. side. Uh, but uh, that's all we have for you this week on the Midweek Roundup. Wishing you the best uh, of, for the rest of your travels. We're off to Vietnam and Thailand, where next week on March 15th, I'll be presenting live from uh, the API conference in Bangkok. So until next time, have a wonderful week. Cheers. <laughs>